All right, so we have a fantastic podcast with our buddy, Chad King. Chad brought it at the Multifamily Live event with how he goes out there, sources deals, set it up to build his lead generation pipeline. So he has multifamily properties coming from, from a number of different marketing solutions. He's going to really get into it, so stay tuned. Welcome to Multifamily Live. I'm Kimi Yarusi. And I'm Jason Yarusi. Our mission is to help you unlock your full potential as a multifamily real estate investor. So you can do more deals, bigger deals, with less stress, keep more profit, and free up your time. Multifamily doesn't have to be a mystery. It's time to go live. Guys, my name is Chad King. I'm looking at the, the slides here. I own a company called Titan Capital Group. Bill, thanks very much for that the generous introduction. Uh, we are we buy apartment complexes, and that's what we're talking about here today. So um, I'm going to talk to you about tactical multifamily acquisitions um, to get started. i look at the screen over there. So to get started, guys, I'm going to set a little bit of an agenda for how today's going to go. I got some uh, little bit flashcards here, too. If I, I got some math coming up, too. So for you math people, we got some math in this PowerPoint. Uh, talk a little bit about who I am, my jump from single family to multifamily. I'm gonna show you a little case study on how you can win with small multifamily apartment complexes. And when I say small, I'm, I'm talking under 50 units. Over 50 units, in my opinion, is large. I'm in both spaces. Um, but you know, we're gonna talk a lot about syndications and larger deals at this, at this conference. And I want you guys to know that you, know, you can win with the smaller stuff too. So I'm gonna go through a case study and show you how we're winning with, with some of these smaller deals. And then, like I said, we're gonna do some math. So, Strap in for the math section. I'm, I'm kind of a numbers nerd. Um, I'm especially fond of the ones with dollar signs in front of them. So we're going to be doing some math here. Um, and I, I, got, I got some people on the screen over here. So I'd love some, some participation when we get to the math section. It's off. Clicker's off. Give me one second, guys. Get that clicker back on. All right. Then we're going to be talking about the meat of it, finding and closing off-market opportunities. I'm sure a lot of you guys want to get to that portion. And also, I'm going to, at the end, do some negotiation tips. So... I'm gonna dive into it, share with you guys a little bit about me, uh, who I am. I have a, an incredible, incredible wife. Um, we're an adventurous couple, uh, that's her, her name is Jennifer, and um, my big why right there, she took, a, um, she took a chance on me when all I had to offer was potential, and I'm gonna make sure that that chance pays off, so she's an incredible, incredible woman. Uh, for you guys out there, if you, if you don't have a good woman, find you a good woman. If you got a good woman, hang on to her. And for all my ladies out there in real estate, um, we need badass women in, in this industry. You guys are awesome. Love the ladies in real estate um, doing big things. And um, less than two months ago, we uh, had this little thing enter our world. So she's eight weeks. This is Grace King. Um, and that's, that's our little baby. So my Y just got a, lot, a whole lot bigger. And then she has a little message for you guys. My wife always tells me to go buy the apartments. Every time I wake up, she says that. So I have a feeling Grace is going to say the same thing because uh, those apartments are going to her. Everything I buy, that little baby's getting. So let me talk to you guys just real quick about my journey in real estate. So in December 2016, I met a gentleman by the name of Grant Cardone. You guys might have heard of him. Um, if you're here, you probably have. And uh, what happened was, you know, I, had, I was working at Xerox at the time, so that picture was taken. I was selling copiers door-to-door -door at Xerox. Um, was a top producer and, and doing very well. I actually went down to Miami and cold-called Grant at his office in Miami. And um, as you know, he's a very busy guy, very difficult to get his time. I got, it's a story for another time, but I got super creative and actually ended up getting him to take a 15-minute meeting with me off of a cold call. The, the way that I did it was, was really, really creative and... Um, 
he sat down with me for 15 minutes and we talked sales, we talked marketing, had a great conversation. And um, at the end of the 15 minutes, I asked him, I said, if you were me, you know, it, it, if you were me in my age, what, what would you do? You know, it, it, knowing what you know now. And he said something to me. He said, if I had gotten into real estate at your age, I'd be a billionaire by now. And he said that, um, and it really, it kind of struck a chord with me. So I, you know, I, I thought about that and I was just, I was driving home, driving back and it just kept irking at me. And I had been studying successful people while I was at Xerox. So I was studying money and the, this concept of money. I was studying, um, you know, wealth, prosperity, how money worked. I saw the people that had money had the control. And I, I, I did always see this common theme in real estate. So I had that sort of that, that thing in my ear, right? We, I think we all have it. Like real estate is, it's, it's where the wealth is made, preserved, created. So, um, after that meeting, two weeks later, he, he said, if I had gotten into your, if I had gotten into real estate, I'd be a billionaire by now. So two weeks later, I pulled one of these. Uh, I don't like my job. I'm, I'm going to quit. Cold turkey. I was working, um, I was <laughs> left six figures, cold turkey, um, just put in my two weeks notice. And I was like, I'm going to commit to this real estate thing. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make it work. Um, and I also love the commit thing so much that on the, a week after that, I actually proposed to, to Jen. And she said yes, a, a guy who just fresh with no job. <laughs> I don't know why she said yes, but I'm happy she did. And um, so I was just all about this commit thing. January 2017 hits. I got a plan. I'm an entrepreneur. We've all done that. We've all been there. Um, you know, you, got, you take that leap and you're, you, know, you start the LLC and you're, you're, all, you're all pumped up and you got this plan. Like, this was me. And I was looking at this finish line. I was looking at this, this flag and I was like, There's my, there it is. Wealth and real estate. I'm going to get there. And then reality sets in, and reality looks a lot like this. Um, anybody, anybody in entrepreneurship knows that that is about the graph that you're going to get. If you plan on something going straight, that's about what it's going to look like. I bet I even spent a couple nights in that canoe down in the water uh, thinking about going back to Xerox. And um, that's actually a pretty good graph for not only entrepreneurship. You could, that's a good graph for even a real estate deal or even a day in the life of an entrepreneur. I think we have those ups and downs. So in January 2017, I was riding the curves and riding the waves. I found a little niche in wholesale and fix and flip, uh, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Didn't have a coach, didn't have a mentor. One of the biggest mistakes I made. But seven months later, after struggling, credit card debt up to the eyeballs, I got my first deal. So there's a little house. It was my first deal. And to answer your question, uh, no, they were not having a yard sale at the time of that photo. That is just how the house looked. Uh, that's my wife up at the front door. Uh, if you guys think I'm a closer, you should see uh, you should see my wife. She's a stone cold negotiator. Um, so that was her up at the house. We made a whopping four thousand dollars on that property. Uh, if I looked at my return on time, probably lost money. But hey, it's a momentum game, and I'm, I'm in the single family space. I'm about to get into my multifamily journey, but it's all about momentum. That first deal gave us momentum. 2017, we did 12 deals. 2018, I linked up with Bill. Bill told the story about how I got involved with his team. Um, now we're business partners in other ventures. In 2018, we did 62 deals together. In 2019, I was a part of 136 transactions where we negotiated on the buyer side, seller side, and got those deals done. Now, 2019 is rolling around. I'm talking to Bill about the future. What are we doing? What do we, you know, what's next? And we were in this you know, we're in like almost a little bit of transaction land. A lot of people are watching are in the wholesale fix and flip space. And you know that when a deal closes, you got to go out and do another one. So you, you're in this transaction land and we're trying to get to the equity portion and get some residual income. Because otherwise, um, who's seen this meme? Who said real estate profession was stressful? I'm 48 and I feel great. 
we were well on our way to being uh, very, very similar to that, is, is what we were well on our way to doing, doing all those transactions and having to go back out and do them again. So um, now keep in mind, during 2018 and 2019, Bill mentioned it, I had already started into my multifamily journey. I was walking properties on the weekends. In the evenings, I was underwriting deals. So I had started, uh, you know, started to get some of that traction and education it, while I was wholesaling and fixing and flipping full-time, managing all the sales reps, all the markets that we're in. And um, so let's get into it. So now from wholesaler to apartment owner, in the last 18 months, uh, 494 units, that's, that's between GP and LP. Uh, four of the five deals I was on the GP, we, we acquired off market and three of those, uh, we worked directly with the seller. So I'm gonna talk a lot about um, direct to seller uh, stuff because uh, I believe you know, that's, that's where a lot of deals are, are hidden in that direct to seller market. Um, I'll, I'll, we're even gonna get into some of the marketing strategies as well. So I'm gonna do a little bit of a case study here on a 14 unit in Clarksville, Tennessee. If anybody would like to know how we pulled over $160,000 of tax-free money out of these properties and have $0 in this deal, have an infinite return and it cash flows 3,000 bucks every single month with $0 in it, let me see a hand if, I can, if, if you guys wanna hear how we're doing that on this property. I'm seeing some hands. That's good, because I'm gonna tell you. Before I tell you, this is me, just so you know. I don't look like that guy, but that is me. I'm a, I'm a math nerd. I love numbers, so try and follow along. I, I go pretty quick, but I'll leave it up there at the end. You can take a screenshot. This is me though, just preparing you guys. Cool, we purchased the property for 784,000. We closed with hard money. Don't recommend doing it, but it was part of our exit strategy. If you're equipped and you know what you're doing, you can close with hard money. Got a 95% loan to cost, $745,000 was our first loan on the property. We brought $54,900 down at closing. It appraised, a, a week later, we had it appraised, it appraised at 950. What we did was, less than a month later, we, had a, we got a refi of 80% LTV. It was a no seasoning period at a community bank. So we refied less than a month later after closing at 760,000 on a 10 year term with a 5.125% interest rate. We pulled 10K out of the deal. So technically it was a cash out refi, but it was only 10 grand we pulled out. We renovated, we repositioned, and we raised the rents. That's the stuff we talk about. You guys will hear people talking about um, repositioning these assets. I mean, that's the meat of the business is forcing appreciation. So uh, the owner, this, this was built in 2012 and the owner had not raised rent since 2013. He had good tenants in there and he wasn't paying attention to it. It's a perfect avatar for what we're looking for. He just was not really, not really trying to raise the rents and keeping it at market. He was just happy with heads and beds. So we had a lot of um, loss to lease on this building. So 12 months later, after we bought it, we raised the rents, got everybody on leases, cleaned up the financials. It appraised at 1.22, okay? This is the power of multifamily, guys. The value of the building is not based on the surrounding buildings. The value of the building is based on the income that it produces. It is one of the things I love about apartment complexes. You control the value of your building by how well you operate it. Jason Yarusi, who you just saw, is gonna talk, um, or he's one of the best asset managers I've ever seen. His ability to decrease expenses and force appreciation through finding different things and ways to increase income and decrease expenses is phenomenal. And you have to learn those things in order to get that value up. So it appraised at 1.22 million. Cool. We got a third loan on it. We refied again, 75% LTV, 915,000 at a much, much lower interest rate. We pulled out $160,000 on this property of tax-free money. That is a non-taxable event, okay? The reason it's non-taxable is because those are loan proceeds. So we pulled all of our capital out, 
plus over $100,000 in profit from a 14-unit apartment complex. We have zero money in the deal. It's an infinite return. It cash flows net, 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 $3,000 a month. After taxes, after insurance, it cash flows $3,000 a month, over $36,000 annually. Is that not awesome? If, if you could do that 10 times, what would that do for your life, right? I mean, and not to mention, in the year we acquired it, which was 2019, we did a cost segregation study and got $181,000 of bonus depreciation dollar for dollar against our income, okay? I'm not telling you guys this to brag. I'm telling you guys this because you don't wanna wait to buy real estate. You should buy real estate and wait, okay? The power of time, the power of forced depreciation, it's, it's, it's wild what you can do. You gotta get into this. Um, buy, buy right, buy these deals, you know, um, do, do the numbers, kill the deal on the underwriting, and if the deal makes sense, do the deal and, and wait. Um, so now we're gonna do some math. Believe it or not, that was not even my math slide. So if I'm scaring you yet, that was not even my math slide. So I think when people get into this, um, when people get into this, I think a lot of times they have these goals and they're, you know, a goal that I hear typically is like $10,000 a month in passive income. Like that's what I want. Uh, a lot of times that's above typical living expenses and people just say $10,000 a month is, is what I want. And, I, and I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, $10,000 a month, how are you going to get there? And, the, you know, a lot of times people don't do the math. How do you get to $10,000 a month? There's different ways to do it. So if that's your target, and, and listen, if you have $10,000 a month in passive income and you're trying to get to 100, just add a zero to the math. But if that's the target, you can do it by getting $1.2 in equity working for you at a 10% return. You could do it by getting $800,000 working for you at an average of 15% return. There's different ways to do it, but you gotta break it down to actually do the math. Now, if you're on the LP, you know that you just gotta deploy 1.2 million in, in equity at an average of 10% from your, from your deals and you'll get there. If you're on the GP and you're trying to do syndications and you're raising money for these deals, you know that your slices of your equity just have to get up to that $1.2 million in equity mark. There's another way you can do it too. If you're, doing, if you're cash flowing at $150 per door and you own 20% of the deals, you need 350 doors to get there. Let's say you're doing the syndications and you're splitting them 70-30 or 60-40. Maybe you're keeping 20%, giving 10% to a guy like Bill for the balance sheet or the money raising, giving 10% to a guy like Jason for asset management and assistance with the deal. Whatever you may be doing, do the math and figure out what you need to do to get to that number, okay? Now, I'm back because the math is about to start. How do I get to 350 doors, Chad? What do I need to do to get there? Okay, well, listen, the, what I'm about to do might, uh, the, the numbers that I'm about to put up might scare some people, but I would say that this is what you have to do if you guys wanna be successful in this business. If you're on the GP running these deals, and then if you're on the LP, it's gonna shed some light onto why it's so important to find a good, uh, find a good GP and find good syndicators to put your money with because this is what we're doing. Let's say I'm taking the 350 units example, I want, and I'm gonna do five deals to get there. Maybe, they, so by that math, it's 70 units per deal. In order to close one property, I need to submit four to five LOIs. This is my pipeline, guys. I'm sharing my numbers. This is how I track my, my pipeline here. Four to five LOIs to submit. In order to submit one LOI, I need to make three offers. Yes, offers are different than LOIs. In order to make three offers, I need to walk four to five properties. In order to walk four to five properties, I need to underwrite fully 15 to 20 deals in full underwriting. In order to underwrite 15 to 20 deals, I need to look at 60 deals, okay? And yes, looking at deals and underwriting deals are completely different. So to do five deals, I must look at 300 plus deals. And that's, I mean, that's, that's minimum. 
I gotta look at 300 deals to get to that five deals, okay? I'm just trying to put some numbers in front of you guys so that you know this is what it's gonna take. And if you, and if you guys are on the LP, this is why acquisitions, we have acquisitions fees on our deal because we're not getting paid for any of that work. All of those property walks and the LOIs and all that good stuff, um, you know, that's stuff you're not gonna be compensated for until you get that deal closed. And now, um, yeah, I threw that in there in case I'm losing some people with the math. But what else was I gonna say on that slide? Yeah, let's move on to the next one. Does that make sense? Everybody, everybody tracking me on this math and this pipeline here? Is that, is that helpful? Put some things in perspective. And if you're not the ones that are going for, I'm seeing some thumbs ups. I, I love the participation, guys. If, um, you know, if you're not the one going out to these properties, you know, and, and it's your team doing it, then share these, share these KPIs with them. Share this pipeline with them. This is where you guys need to be living. Um, so you might be saying, all right, I need to look at 300 deals. Well, how do I look at 300 deals? Let's talk about increasing your deal flow because you, you got to look at the deals in order to back it all the way up to get the five contracts that we were talking about. Number one, you need to practice your underwriting, okay? LoopNet is a great place to do that. It's a great place to look at deals. That, those deals that you're looking at, actually, they count towards your numbers on your pipeline. This is where I first started. I would take every deal and I would start practicing underwriting. You guys need to learn how to read the narratives, um, reading the narratives of these deals. If you're, if you're just looking to be an LP investor, sign up for these syndicators and sign up for their mailing list so you can start underwriting the syndicators and underwriting their deals. But you need to start practicing the underwriting. Uh, another thing, brokers and broker sites on LoopNet. So increasing your deal flow is as easy as going on LoopNet and looking at the brokers that have the listings, clicking on their websites and signing up for their new deals. So you can do this for almost every broker has a site on there and most of them have a little link on their website that says sign up for deals, put in your market and they will send you deals to your, to your inbox, okay? And then you put those in, start practicing underwriting those things. And then we're gonna talk about direct to seller marketing, another way to increase your deal flow. Okay, finding and closing off market direct to seller. Where's my timer? Am I running? Oh, analog clock, I gotta read an analog clock. Couldn't stretch for a digital, all right. We're, okay, <laughs> finding and closing off market direct to seller. Uh, get clear on the market, get clear on the properties, get clear on what you want. Um, you know, Jason and Peely talk a lot about clarity, mindset. You guys have to envision what you want and the properties that you're going to buy. Get clear, pull the list, hit the list. We're pulling lists from Reonomy right now, R-E-O, Reonomy, N-O-M-Y. Um, that's just the, where we're pulling them and we're hitting those lists for our target properties. This is a relationship business. We're gonna get a little bit into the sales side of things now, okay? So this is a relationship business. Um, our marketing to these sellers is designed to build a relationship. We're doing uh, a marketing piece. Uh, right now we're in some beta, we're in beta test with a couple different pieces and designed to, you know, to build relationships. Uh, but for, for all intensive purposes, you could do a letter for that. We're doing text, ringless voicemails, cold calls, video text, and then another different type of marketing piece. Um, and what that'll do is, you know, you're gonna hit them on different mediums, build a relationship, you're trying to build credibility, right? Um, you will find motivation, but in, not, in my experience, not distress. Bill mentioned I've done, I've talked to thousands and thousands of sellers, guys, um, on the single family space, and I've dealt with a lot of distress. Uh, it doesn't, I don't wanna say it doesn't exist, I have not found it. Talked to a lot of sellers in the multifamily space, majority are a little bit more logical. Um, they are motivated to sell, uh, but a lot of them are not in distress. There's no one really offloading property, so you have to have 
Um, you know, you have to be well-educated and have a good logical conversation with these people. Um, there is some emotion tied to these, these sales, but for the most part, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta speak the lingo. These deals take a high level of trust. Um, so if you're just getting started, leverage the credibility of partners, leverage the credibility of mentors and of coaches in order to establish some trust. I wanted to give you guys a quick example. Last week, we had a lead come in from one of our marketing campaigns. And what, what had happened was it was the property manager that had been given instruction by the seller who got our mail piece by the seller to call me and vet me out to see if I was worthy of a conversation with the seller. So think about that for a second. He had said, and I had a conversation with 30 minutes with the property manager. At the end of the call, she actually told me, she said, well, to be honest with you, Joe wanted me to call you and see if you, were, you guys were the real deal. This is why I'm taking the phone calls and I'm handling those conversations. So then I got on the phone with Joe. We're actually in purchase and sale negotiations on that property uh, right now. Hopefully gonna have it locked up next week. But that's the point when I'm talking about high level of trust and credibility. So, um, and then have integrity. Guys, do what you say you're gonna do. Do the right thing. Uh, I can't stress this enough. This is one of our core values. Um, you, you have to have integrity in this industry. Um, I can, I can go on so many examples of where both Bill and I have chosen to do the right thing, even when it didn't, it was not in favor of our pocketbooks. So um, have that integrity, do the right thing, do what you say you're gonna do. Uh, okay, so that was increasing your deal flow. Guys, I talked a little bit about numbers. I talked a little bit about how many, how many deals, properties you gotta look at, how to increase your deal flow. Um, was that some good information? Am I, am I kinda doing some math that's, that's sort of resonating with you guys? Good information? Seeing some thumbs up. Awesome. Awesome. Um, now I'm going to get into a little bit of uh, some negotiation tips. So what happens when you get a seller on the phone? What, what happens when you are talking to that property manager that is, is calling to vet you? Um, this, this is, this is some, some tips that I'm just going to give um, on negotiation. Right now, to differentiate yourself from your competitors and hold on to the short-lived attention span of distracted prospects you need to be a master of emotions, both yours and theirs. You need to have interpersonal skills, influence frameworks, and be a master of human relationships. Uh, in summary, guys, that's emotional intelligence is, is what that is. In order to excel this day and age, you have to have emotional intelligence. The era of being the only product on the market or the era of having all the information and the, and the person prospect not being having other information readily accessible is gone, right? Everybody has cell phones at their fingertips. They can get multiple bids, multiple quotes, they can do it all. So how are you going to differentiate yourself? Because it's not being, you know, in the single family space, it's not, hey, we're going to pay all the closing costs and close with cash. Everybody's doing that now. So how are you differentiating yourself? It's the same thing in multifamily. Um, here are some tips that I like to do to uh, differentiate myself um, when I'm talking direct to seller. First of all, seek first to understand, then to be understood. This is also known as tactical empathy. Uh, for me, this is one of the biggest ones. Empathy tends to get confused uh, with sympathy, it's, and it's not that at all. Uh, tactical empathy is being able to put yourself in the seller's uh, shoes and see their situation through their perspective through the asking great questions. So I want you guys to think about that. Um, you have to first understand the person on the other end of the phone or the one that's sitting across from you on the table. Bill mentioned a deal that we got where the seller held back a note of a multi-million dollar note over $6 million that he held back against the property. Um, it was because I understood him and I understood what he was trying to accomplish. I understood who he was and his portfolio and what he was looking to do. And that was the only reason we were able to structure that deal the right way because I didn't come out and just tell him about all the stuff I wanted to do. 
I got to know him and got to understand the man first. Um, so do that, tactical empathy, put yourself in their perspective. Don't chase what someone says until you understand what they mean. Uh, a lot of salespeople I hear, I listen to a lot of recorded calls, I do a lot of sales coaching, and uh, what I hear is that um, a lot of people are getting that surface level answer, and they're sort of rolling with it without deal digging deep and peeling back the layers. I encourage you guys to, to, to peel back those layers and when somebody says, you know, hey, I'd let this go, you know, the property's become, become kind of a hassle. And a lot of people just take that word and they go, okay, I understand. And they move on. But what, what do they actually mean? You know, if, what do they mean by hassle? Like, I, I need to understand what that actually means. I'm not going to chase what they said until I get it. Like, I need to understand it. And I'm going to do that by asking phenomenal questions. Hey, when you say hassle, what do you mean? Or the property's become a hassle and encourage them to keep talking so that you can get it. Because if you get it, then you can tailor your presentation and your pitch when it's time to close around that. Hey, if you don't want to deal with those tenants anymore, uh, like you mentioned, or hey, if you're tired of dealing with the, the unit renovations that keep coming up or getting calls, like let, let's, let's, let's get this taken care of because you asked those questions. Okay, don't listen to respond, listen to absorb, aka listen. This one's pretty, pretty cut and dry. Um, but I think too many people are listening and while, they, while they're listening, they're formulating that next question in their mind. Um, and that's a mistake. Uh, you, you have to really be hanging on to the words that are coming out because you could miss something that's a, uh, it's called a, a golden, a black swan from a Chris Voss term or a golden goose that could be a potential deal maker. Um, if you're, if you're thinking about the next question that you're going to ask while somebody's talking. Um, another tip on negotiations, set agendas and objectives for the discussions and make sure you operate in that framework. I did that with this presentation. Guys, I set an agenda for what was gonna take place and I'm operating in that agenda right now. So right out of the gate, you guys know what you're gonna get. You know what to expect. It, when, in terms of a negotiation, like if they know what's gonna come, the, the shoulders are gonna drop. If, if you get a seller on the phone that has a 71 unit property and you get them on the phone and you start pounding them with questions, He's, he's probably back there wondering like, oh, when is this going to end? What's the purpose of this call? How many questions am I going to have to answer, et cetera. But if you go ahead and set the framework and set the agenda and the objective of the call up front, say, hey, you know, this is, this, is what I'm, this is my company. This is what I'd like to talk about today. I'd like to get this information from you. And at the end of this call, if it makes sense, this is what the next step would look like. Does that all sound good to you? And go ahead and set that agenda up front. Okay, it's gonna make the calls go a lot smoother. And when you start to have deviations from that agenda, it's easy to pull back in and get back on that same framework that you already set, rather than go down rabbit holes all the time. And then um, during negotiations, guys, uh, maintain a high level of self-awareness and self-control. You need to manage, manage disruptive uh, emotions. This is, again, this is emotional intelligence for both yourself and the seller. Um, you have to have self-awareness and self-control things that people say, you have to be the, 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 what's called the control and let them be the variable. You're going to deal with different kinds of emotions, different kinds of logic, and you have to root yourself in being the control on these negotiations. So those are my negotiation tips. Uh, I hope that was helpful. Um, that was my, I did some of the math um, on the numbers. I showed you guys a little bit of case study. So how you can win with, with multifamily, um, especially, you know, the smaller stuff. W guys, we're going to talk a lot about these big deals, um, but Make sure you're, you're not letting those, those smaller ones pass through without giving them a good glance because if you if you've structure the financing the right way, you guys see we refied that thing two times. If you guys structure the financing the right way, plan the exit the right way, pair it up with the debt and the market cycle, you guys can really win on some of these smaller stuff and make a great little nest egg for yourself and your family and create the wealth that we're talking about creating in this space. 
I mean, this is, this is why we're all here. It's for wealth creation and wealth preservation. And um, yeah, I hope that was really helpful. Um, thank you guys very much. That was my presentation. I actually got done on time. Want to learn exactly how we're finding high profit, cash flow ready multifamily properties off market? Want to find out how to run lightning fast syndications to raise all the capital you need for your next multi-million dollar deal? in just a few days. We are breaking down our entire process step-by-step step at a three-day event happening June 10th through the 12th called, you guessed it, Multifamily Live. We've done events before, but nothing this massive or this valuable. And for the first time ever, we're going to open the doors and walk you guys through literally every step of what we're doing on our multifamily deals. This is a virtual event, so you don't have to travel or even leave your couch, but spots are limited. Sign up at multifamilyliveevent.com and we'll see you there.